Who are we as Wesleyan Methodists? What does it mean to bear the name Wesleyan and Methodist? And how do we participate in God's mission? You know, here in New Zealand, our, our recent uh, census results, just from a few months ago, indicates that we are the English-speaking country in the world with the highest proportion of people who say they have no religion. More than Australia, Canada, or the UK. Almost half of our population. And probably most Apakia people who look like me. One recent commentator here in Auckland, uh, she said, many Pākehā New Zealanders are using Māori spiritual traditions to fill the void in their own lives, further colonising and using Māori culture instead of finding their own spiritual connections. Thought-provoking. In all parts of our South Pacific region, Australia, Melanesia, and Polynesia included, there are many competing worldviews and other religions which can be confusing, particularly for our young people. Secularism can often be aggressive with its atheistic set of values and worldview. Even amongst those who claim to be Christian, there are some unusual and uh, non-biblical views from groups like the Mormons, and some indigenous groups who appeal to ancestor worship. Across the whole Christian spectrum, a wide variety of different uh, worship and music styles, liturgies and theologies add to the dilemma about what is right and proper. So as Christians and as Wesleyan Methodists, we face some key issues about identity. And ironically, you know, way back in the 18th century, John Wesley faced similar challenges. And he, he asked the question, what may we reasonably believe to be God's design in raising up the preachers called Methodist? And he answered, not to form any new sect, but to reform the nation, particularly the church, and to spread scriptural holiness over the land. And he said further, Methodism, so-called, is the old religion, the religion of the Bible, the religion of the primitive church, the religion of the Church of England. This old religion is no other than love, the love of God and all humankind. And he said, I mean a people who profess to pursue holiness of heart and life, inward and outward conformity, in all things to the revealed will of God. So here in the South Pacific, we Wesleyan Methodists can be at risk of uh, losing our divinely appointed identity and blindly follow the, uh, the latest flavor of the day or at worst, get confused and lost. We can end up being fake Wesleyans if we don't know who we are. Now, we don't want to be fake. Instead, we want to be real and effective Christians 
blessed by God and, and fruitful in his great mission work. Now you think of our, our, our very names, Wesleyan, meaning we're, we're linked to that great 18th century revival of which the Wesley brothers were instrumental and which has since become a major part of the global church today. You think of the name Methodist, meaning methodical, intentional, especially in regard to growth in discipleship and holiness. So we must face issues not only about our, our identity, but about our calling at this time and in our South Pacific context. And I propose to you that Wesley's conviction that our Wesleyan stream of the church was raised up to spread scriptural holiness over the land is still divinely true and real for us today. There is no evidence of such missional mandate having been withdrawn. Now, over much of this year, I've, I've thought and prayed about this conference and uh, what my message should be to you and our people. And from this preparation work, I'm absolutely convicted that our identity and our calling is, is crucial to our Wesleyan Methodist work uh, in the South Pacific now and in the future. And at this conference, I'm launching my uh, new Renew Your Wesleyan DNA book, and uh, this has a lot of resourcing detail that I don't have time to include in my message tonight. So I want to just share a summary, and here's the punchline. If we are fake about who we are, we will fail. And when we're true to the identity, the, the DNA that God gives us, we will be fruitful and we will be effective in amplifying the mission of God. Amen? You know, globally, the John Wesley family of churches continues to increase in number. The estimate is that at least a million Christians are added to the whole body of Christ by the John Wesley family every year. And the church is growing, especially in the global south, as we heard in our forum today. Further, these churches represent a major grouping in Protestantism as a whole. Collectively, the John Wesley family, about 80 million Christians today, similar in size to the Anglican church. And the vast majority of all Methodists and Wesleyans uh, are not liberal, but are orthodox evangelical believers, uh, just as most are in the Anglican church too, isn't that right, Michael? So the Methodist Wesleyan stream has always seen itself as congruent with historic Christianity, with biblically-based uh, distinctives consistently promoted, such as these four alls. This is a summary of Wesley's theological emphases. All need to be saved from sin. All can be saved in terms of salvation is actually available to all. All can know 
they are saved, that experience of assurance. And all can be saved to the uttermost in terms of that sanctifying holiness in your life and mine. Theologian uh, Thomas Oden once described three main houses in the body of Christ, the Reformed, uh, the Liturgical, and the Pietistic. And the Reformed house is the classical uh, Protestant grouping of Lutheran, Reformed, and Baptist. The Liturgical house includes the sacramentally focused traditions of Anglicanism, Roman Catholicism, and Eastern Orthodoxy. The third pietistic house, led by the Wesleyans and the holiness traditions of evangelical revivalism, eventually developed associated traditions of charismatic and Pentecostal expressions. Odin's commentary articulates the, the significant place that Wesley and his theological distinctives continue to have for mission today. And a very prominent Pentecostal historian and commentator, Vincent Sinyan, concurs. He says, John Wesley, the indomitable founder of Methodism, was also the spiritual and intellectual father of the modern holiness and Pentecostal movements which arose from Methodism in the 19th century. If you add the Pentecostal family to the Methodist family, the holiness family, uh, there are several hundred million Christians today in that wider movement. So our Wesleyan theological, uh, our Wesleyan theological leadership role is of greater significance than you might think and even more important than our own Wesleyan Methodist denomination. So my conviction is uh, of our influence of uh, promoting a balanced and rich Wesleyan theology is, is vital to the whole church, not just our own denomination, to the whole church in our South Pacific region. Now, Wesley required his preachers and followers to demonstrate charity, and tolerance for theological opinions different uh, to their own, so long as they did not undermine basic doctrinal foundations. So he said all Christians are called to embrace the historic faith as the scripture clearly states. We urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. So such saving faith about Jesus Christ has been entrusted to us to be accepted, to be taught, to be promoted, and always upheld. Some in Methodist, United, and Uniting Churches in our South Pacific region are being distracted from proper Wesleyan theology, going so far into contextual theology that it overtakes the salvific gospel message itself, or distracted by the desire to gain church property, that they submit and accept the liberal ethos. So some ministers and congregations have joined churches with radically liberal theology, not because they necessarily agree with such liberal theology, and most times they don't, but because they are mesmerized and they are intoxicated by a cultural focus 
or having church property made available to them. Let me give you a prophetic warning. If property and contextual cultural matters are seen as more important than the gospel of Jesus Christ and his holiness message, the church is doomed. Doomed. What is absolutely essential above everything else is the the living, breathing, saving, transforming gospel of Jesus Christ. So in light of our identity and, and our calling, can we discern our Wesleyan DNA? And especially as we look to the special year of 2020, 75 years of Wesleyan Methodist work and witness in Australia, 20 years here in Aotearoa, New Zealand. We are, I think, being called back to the very essence and the importance of Wesleyan theology about being raised up to promote scriptural holiness. So for us to continue to be a renewing movement, all our ministers and lay leaders and as many families as possible can embrace the riches of the Wesleyan theological worldview. And as well as denominational leaders having the responsibility to foster such a worldview, local churches must take responsibility to express such a worldview in their worship and their life and their mission. Otherwise, we run the risk of being fake Wesleyans in name only. You know, in my studies about Wesleyan theology, I I spent a lot of time distilling Uh, summaries of the Wesleyan theological worldview from a whole wide range of commentators. And from all that, I determined Wesleyan DNA to constitute five key areas. And these five distinctives provide a kind of a genetic structure, much like DNA in a living organism, mutually sort of working together to create the the vibrant dynamics of what God requires from us. So the first primary strand is creator's mission, echoed in the scripture. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And that's the reference to New Zealand. Wesleyan theology is based on this concept of the God of love and compassion who commissions us for a mission to be witnesses in order to seek and save those who are lost. And this mission is not to rescue us from a a sinful earth and take us to a paradise in the skies, but to redeem all of creation. So God's purpose or mission is that through Jesus' death and resurrection, he can, as the scripture says, reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Now, it's not that the church has a mission, it's that the mission has a church. And mission is essential to the nature of the church and that the church fulfills its purposes and mission only in regard regard to God's purposes and mission. So paramount for any Wesleyan missional understanding are the grace of God for all creation, the universal atonement, 
of Jesus Christ and the redemptive call of God through provenient grace. In other words, mission is at the very heart of the DNA of the church. Wesley's understanding of the mission of the church is reflected in one of his Rules of a Helper publication. He says, you have nothing to do but to save souls. Therefore, spend and be spent in this work and go always not only to those that want you but to those that want you most. Very crisp advice, isn't it? Now, although Wesley had no uh, physical children, his spiritual children soon became many. With the 19th and 20th century Methodist global expansion, uh, the biggest Christian renewal movement the world has ever seen over a 150-year period. And especially tenacious and far-reaching in their mission work with the British Methodists were the last ripple from the 18th century Wesleyan revival finally reaching our, our distant South Pacific Islands in the early years of the 19th century with the Reverend Samuel Lee visiting Aotearoa from Sydney, 1819, 200 years ago, and soon enabling mission work in Tonga and the other Pacific Islands. But the mission commitment that, that motivated the early missionaries also motivates us. And is in keeping with, with Wesley's sentiment. He said, you know, all the world is my parish. Which in turn was an echo of the creator God declaring, for the world is mine and all that is in it. And Jesus himself saying, peace be with you as the Father has sent me, so I send you. We have the privilege, and it is a privilege, of being part of the Creator's mission today. Amen? And a second DNA strand of salvation. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations. Wesley developed an all-encompassing and a progressive view of salvation from sin and death to victory and new life. And he emphasized the, the restoration of the image of God through several stages of saving grace in the life of the individual. So Wesley had a, a classical Arminian view of sin that recognized the, the profound problem of human sin. And he was well acquainted with the power of sin and was not far from John Calvin's own view of its severity. However, Wesley discerned a crucial difference in that he believed the Holy Spirit unilaterally worked to bring penetrating light by grace, especially provenient grace, and a variety of other means such as prayer and preaching. And for Wesley, these, these provenient windows of the Holy Spirit were promptings that gave people the opportunity to respond. Now, to restrict Wesley's view of salvation only to the personal realm and to neglect his expansive view of the impact of salvation as it, as it impacts on the whole cosmos would be a mistake. The Wesleyan worldview of salvation is, is different from a pervasive um, Calvinistic influence and a generic evangelical perspective, often prevalent today, with its emphasis mainly on decision and rescue from damnation. 
Wesley endeavoured to provide an answer when he wrote, and you can sense the, the 18th century English, you'll still get the message. God is already renewing the face of the earth, and we have strong reason to hope that the work he hath begun, he will carry on unto the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. That he will never interrupt this blessed work of the Spirit until he has fulfilled all his promises, until he has put an end to sin and misery and infirmity and death and re-established universal holiness and happiness and caused all the inhabitants of the earth to sing together, Hallelujah, the Lord God omnipotent reigns. What a statement, isn't it? So in the process, Wesley provides a a theological foundation for ecological and environmental work that was far ahead of his time and is especially relevant to us today. In fact, Wesley speaks of the whole person in the whole of creation, including animals and, and nature. He refers to this in many of his sermons. And he speaks of the animal kingdom and appeals to parents and children to care for the creation, including all lowly creatures. The Wesleyan theological perspective of salvation, it's robust and it's healthy in every dimension of life, personal, communal, and for the whole of creation. A third DNA strand is what I call transformation. But you will receive power, power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Wesleyan mission is about people being changed and transformed by the Holy Spirit into fully loving people who also change society. So such conviction has also contributed to a a clear sense of identity and mission. In September 1790, Wesley reflected on this tremendous transforming holiness work six months before he died at the age of 87. He said, this doctrine, scriptural holiness, is the grand depositum which God has lodged with the people called Methodists and for the sake of propagating this, chiefly he appeared to have raised us up. So Wesley's description of this holiness includes perfect love and perfection, terms both having clear biblical references. Always he made effort to describe and advocate for such transforming love. He says, what is perfection? The word is various senses. Here it means perfect love. It is a love excluding sin. Love filling the heart, taking up the whole capacity of the soul. It is a love rejoicing every more, praying without ceasing, and in everything giving thanks. He was convinced that the the preaching of such transformational love and change was absolutely necessary for the effective proclamation of the gospel. And he said, wherever this is not done, the believers grow cold grow dead and cold, nor can this be prevented but by keeping up in them an hourly expectation of being perfected in love. See that optimism of grace coming through. So he was unwilling to be compelled into either a progressive or an instantaneous view on such transformation. He said it could be either in a person's life. 
So Wesley was always a, um, a consummate activist and uh, optimist who believed that our, our earthly life, however long that will be, was much more than a test of endurance, but rather an opportunity for God-inspired transformational improvement and the equivalent transformational transformational improvement in our society, all done with proactive and cheerful enthusiasm. <laughs> so the promotion of healthy and proper ecumenical relationships is another integral part of this transformation work. However, Wesley believed all such change and transformation could not be done without methodical organisation and discipleship accountability for the purposes of sustained and ongoing transformation. It's a lesson for us to remember today. Such holy transformation is truly about God's perfect love being manifest in all of life. Another key DNA strand is means of grace. So Jesus said in the Great Commission, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. John Wesley had a, had a fascination with the created world and with science. And throughout his writings are references to natural phenomena, experiments of science, and common health remedies. He wrote, he wrote many books on healthy living. And while Wesley denied that a complete informed understanding of God could be ascertained from nature, he did affirm that humanity is not left to guess and experiment its way forward, and that God has provided uh, human beings with certain avenues to know and experience and enjoy God's grace. And he called these means of grace. By means of grace, I understand outward signs, words or actions ordained of God and appointed for this end to be the ordinary channels thereby he might convey to men preventing, justifying, or sanctifying grace. I use this expression, means of grace, because I know none better. So at the core of Wesley's commitment to spiritual formation and sanctified living was his strong promotion of these means of grace to help feed and sustain Christian believers. And his uh, he identified five of them, the first one being prayer, always listed by Wesley first. He perceived prayer as being especially important. And he used all kinds of prayer, including adoration and confession and thanksgiving and supplication and, and intercession, and was influenced by the daily office in the Book of Common Prayer, while he also frequently used uh, uh, free prayer as well. So a good example to us today. He said the second means of grace is searching the scriptures. What an endearing phrase he developed to describe the second means of grace and all-encompassing use of scripture to strengthen the knowledge and the devotion of the Christian believer. And, you know, he was familiar with academic approaches to the scripture, including a critical approach, but he said he was always a man of one book and he looked for the inspiration of the Holy Spirit as he read the scripture. And he believed that preaching had a particularly important role in terms of that extension of salvation. I offered them Christ, 
he often writes, as he preached from a clear scriptural basis. The Lord's Supper was identified by Wesley as another means of grace, and his conviction was that the the Holy Communion is a biblically directed means for Christians to experience the spiritual presence of Jesus Christ. It's not just a memorial and a remembrance, but an experience of Christ. And and because of this view, he advocated frequent receiving of the sacrament, not only occasional. And he also considered the sacrament had aspects of provenient and justifying or converting grace and could effectively minister to new believers. And we do well, wouldn't we, in our Wesleyan Methodist congregations to practice Holy Communion more frequently. And another means of grace, this is the popular one I often talk about, fasting. Wesley strongly promoted it. And he said it was not about physical submission, but much more about spiritual experience. So with his acute awareness about physical health issues, Wesley settled into a a weekly routine of fasting following the Thursday evening meal until mid-afternoon on the Friday committing the time usually spent to eating to prayer and devotion. Now, many of our Pacifica churches still practice fasting. We all need to recover this means of grace in our Wesleyan Methodist churches today. And then Wesley said there's a fifth means of grace, this ordinary means by which God speaks to us, and he described it as Christian conferencing. The benefits of Christians getting together in regular groups to confer about faith and practice and to encourage one another, like we're doing at this conference. So Wesley understood Christian organizing and efficient administrative work as vital to healthy Christian discipleship. So Wesley's promotion of these various means of grace, he was always clear that such means in and of themselves had no specific merit or power, but were the usual method by which the Holy Spirit of God works. And I think in summary, these means of grace help recapture the personal heart of our faith. They, they root us in biblical Christianity. They resource us in classical Christianity. They relate to us in ecumenical Christianity, and they help renew us to be real Christians. And the final DNA strand, no surprise. Ministry with the poor. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So Wesley's ministry with the poor, it was, it was such a prominent feature of his long ministry because he understood the scriptural truth. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, Yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. So following this teaching of Jesus, Wesley advocated that the the individual Christian and the corporate church must commit to ministry with the poor in both material and spiritual ways. Now, the poor can actually be an all-encompassing term referring, for example, to those who cannot save themselves. It's all of us. To those who are poor financially. 
to those who are poor spiritually, to those who are poor emotionally, to those who are poor communally. Wesley was unable to conceive of evangelization without practical ministry. And he always had compassion for the poor. And he once famously said, the gospel of Christ knows of no religion but social, no holiness but social holiness. And in many ways, Wesley's frequent ministry with the poor saved him from a concern that was only sentimental or ideological. Rather, his involvement was motivated by practical compassion and was a priority for the allocation of his time. In fact, Wesley went so far as to assert that ministry with the poor was a duty for all Christians and that if neglected could even endanger one's everlasting salvation. That's a warning, isn't it? Few reformers of the church have involved themselves with the concerns of the poor quite like John Wesley did. He helped establish free medical dispensaries, published extensive, as I said, health advice, visited hospitals and prisons, gave out food, and even challenged some of the profound economic and uh, social issues of the era. And this conviction to love and serve others included uh, a personal commitment by Wesley to live simply. So when he died in March 1791, his actual possessions were very few, and most of them were worn out. In the United States, the origins of the Wesleyan Methodist Church came about because of the um, abolitionist uh, crusade and the commitment to the freedom of all human beings. And the promotion of proper recognition and the involvement of women in all spheres of life, including their abilities to preach and minister, was another early distinctive, along with the elevated role of laity. So right from the origins of our churches in Australia and the Solomon Islands, Bougainville, New Zealand, Wesleyan Methodists have consistently applied biblical principles of proper human worth, the human rights of all persons, the full involvement of women, and the role of laity. So ministry with the poor and its linking of vital Christian doctrine with practical Christian living must always be a key part of our DNA. Let me wrap up. For all his humanness, for all his humanness, John Wesley was remarkably perceptive as a unique Christian leader, especially as he developed a, a balanced biblical and theological worldview for living the Christian life in a real and effective way. So the, the Wesleyan theological tradition, it's, it's dominated by God's grace, so active through salvation that it has the capacity to change lives and to promote holy living. And at the same time, such missional work possesses an ecumenical spirit that enables good work with others and, of course, with the poor. So such distinctives can be identified, if you like, as, as key Wesleyan DNA with clear biblical foundation. Creator's mission, 
salvation, transformation, means of grace, ministry with the poor. Remember what I said. If we are fake, if we are fake about who we are, we will fail. And the converse is true. When we commit to scriptural holiness, the very DNA that God gave us, we will be fruitful and effective in amplifying God's mission. So I invite you to commit to engaging this Wesleyan DNA to enable you to be more Christ-like. It's possible, thanks to the work of the Spirit. And commit your churches to live out the divine mandate of encouraging scriptural holiness. And let's commit together for us to be God's fruitful and effective disciples in this South Pacific region where God has placed us. Pray with me. God, we don't journey alone in this, in this life, and we thank you for all who have shaped and influenced us to this very moment. Those who have gone before us, and we thank you for many of those who no longer live this earthly life but live eternally with you. And we thank you for the Wesleyan theological stream that was raised up by the Holy Spirit to spread scriptural holiness. We thank you for that divine mandate that we claim again this very night. Holy Spirit, bless us to be a blessing to many, we pray. Bless us, our churches, our people, uh, all our friends here tonight and all the great body of Christ in this land and in this region that we might be fruitful and effective in bringing about your missional purposes. In the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. And the people said, Amen. <laughs>